also saying there are no more trick questions is exactly the kind of thing someone would say who had put more trick questions in. episode 29 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dan Wellington. Hello. And Mr. Dave Parker. Hey Tony, hey Dan, hey listeners. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k, and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our Patreons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So, uh, welcome Dan, welcome Dave. It's nice to have you back on the show again. Yep, yeah, good to be here. And for once, what is actually going to be a relatively narrative-based episode. <laughs> oh. Until we pass out from the heat, because we are recording in this mini heat wave we're having. True. It is pretty horrendous. I mean, I had honestly thought about doing some painting tonight while recording, but it's, uh, it is too much. I think it's just... But it all melted. It's going to be enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, funnily enough... Um, we're actually going to discuss some law tonight on this narrative 40k podcast. Some proper actual law without me oh, just regression oh. to first edition again. <laughs> yeah, so uh, tonight's like main topic is going to be the first in a recurring mini series called 40k Fun Facts. Because we're basically going to look at um, the sort of in detail law sections from some of these various publications and tonight we're going to be capping off our coverage of uh, Bozo and Charadon book one, the book of Rust, um, because we do now have copies of book two, book of fire, and we're going to be getting right back into all our crunchy narrative rules and campaign supplements and crusade expansions and armies of renown next episode, once we've actually had a chance to have read it all and digested it all. Um, so hopefully tonight is going to be sort of rounding out everything with Book of Rust. And yeah, we're, we're basically going to... We've, we've got a bit of a 40k quiz tonight, because Ooh. I have delved deep into all of the, uh, the lore in Book of Rust, and I pulled out some of the highlights, as well as some of the more obscure and quite typically... <laughs> strange 40k stuff that goes on in the background 
Um, and I'm going to quiz Dan and Dave here all about it. And they're going to have to work out what is true and what is not. Um, yeah. I mean, it's 40k, so... Do you, do you feel up to it? <laughs> well, it, it? Sounds like a challenge. I could argue that none of it is true. Um... <laughs> yeah, all of it is canon, but not all of it is true. Quite. It sound like a fisherman setting up his excuses before you go out fishing. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the waves in this uh, 40k quiz are too big. It's too dangerous out there. <laughs> we'll stay at home. They just weren't biting to me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, uh, it should be fun. Uh, we're going to also catch up with our latest paint station garrisons. Uh, and then we'll sort of finish up with a, an, our community spotlights. But yeah, it should be a it should be just a quite a nice or sort of relaxed episode tonight because as I say we're not going to be getting into crunchy gameplay mechanics or rules or expansions or anything like that. Just forty k law and fun facts. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think if that's about everything, we might as well just jump straight into our pit station garrisons. Yeah, so we'll be back. In a second, guys. Paint Station Garrison. And we're back, guys. So, last episode, we actually covered our latest games played. So, this episode, we're going to be revisiting basically our hobby projects and what we've been up to in our paint station garrisons. So, uh, Dan, can you remember what you've been working on since you last uh, caught up with it? Well, last time, I believe I mentioned about painting up some Admech and uh, working on some Death Guard, which um, have uh, recently taken to the table, as uh, as we discussed last time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, since then, I have been finishing up painting some Admech and finishing painting some Death Guard. <laughs> so, uh, no change variety there. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Well, it it's quite a good variety between the two because one of them is very messy and the other one is just slightly messy and has orange on it. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've... You started adding orange to your Death Guard. <laughs> I mean, yes, actually, now that I think about it, because there's lots of rust on them, so they've both got orange. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad thing, bad I mean, comparison. I, I did see um, some of your posts on the Facebook group yep. um, for your recently finished riser units, and yeah, it seems like you've been expanding your forge world quite a bit in yeah. the last couple of months, haven't you? So I um, I painted a whole load more flappy boys, if you will, or uh, their correct name is Taraxi Sterilizers. Um, the uh, the flamer yeah, flamer armed <laughs> wingsuit wing dudes um, uh, and I also painted some Cerberus sulfur hounds or uh, flamey doggos if you want um, both of them are is that an Australian yeah. <laughs> yeah. flamey doggos uh, they're both uh, kind of I, I did them kind of halfway between quick and to a like higher standard um, because I'd previously done a unit of the sterilizers and a unit of the uh, the raiders the other version of the 
kind of dog cavalry things um, and they took me quite a long time so I basically did what I did then but faster and cut out a few steps and it didn't really make much difference to the overall effect so I thought I could get away with it so uh, it was yeah, it was a they, uh, yeah. one of these kits were they one of these kits that had um, sort of lots of different textures and colour variants yes. and parts yes. to it that it means it's all like it, yeah it becomes a bigger job than it looks at first there's a lot of fiddly bits on those kits um, and I managed to reduce some of the uh, uh, kind of like the complexity by doing some some clever use of contrast to uh, reduce some of the layers on there which uh, made it a fair bit easier so I could bear to get through them all um, but they're done now along with the uh, the the not flappy but flappy plane um, which I Ornithopter. believe we spoke about last time all the time before did you did you set on a variant for it yes I have built it as the bomber version um, it's uh, it kind of adds something else to the list I think rather than just more guns and and how did you find working with the uh, the curved flight stand for it? Oh, the the big curved flight stand. That was the uh, big curved flight stand. Uh, so the big one is quite good actually because it's nice and firm. Add joke here. <laughs> I was resisting. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. No. It's um. Yeah. It's quite good. I I approve of the big one. Add additional joke. Yeah, there's uh, there's there's no real way of getting around this, is there? It's uh, it's a um, considerably <laughs> larger version of the other flight stand. Uh, well, it's it's just more enough. sturdy. That's not dirty, is it? <laughs> I've not seen it in person. Is is it is it the bigger version of those um, the ones that you got on the Marines? Yeah, uh, so the, it's the it's flight. roughly the same shape. It's the it's the kind of curved. Um. Yeah. sort of slight curve shape um, but it's because it's bigger and made of thicker plastic it doesn't sort of bend around as much uh, and the connection joint does it connects into the T joint at the bottom that the all the flyers used to and still do have uh, so there's uh, yeah, that's what yeah, I was going to ask is it, there's a little is it cross section in profile all the way no down, uh, so there's a little kind of connector piece that's the T um, with a with a socket like a ball socket on the bottom, so you stick that in the bottom of the flyer, and then you stick the this flight stand underneath into that, and it's got a hole and a peg, so you can connect it straight in, uh, so you can take it in and out. But anyway, you can cut off if you want. You can cut off the peg so that you could glue it into place in like a an angle to make it look like it's you know uh, cornering in some manner or diving or whatever so it, it's quite flexible in that regard I left it as it is with the peg so that I could take it in and out for storage and transport yeah. I think most people probably would but I was quite impressed with it it's uh, um, it's a lot less silly than the little fiddly ones that go on the back of the the sterilizers which uh, I immediately used magnets for instead of the proper connector because I learned my they lesson they have the same yeah, do they have the same connecting points like they do on the Inceptors, where it's this sort of concave um, curvature at the tip of yeah. the stick? Oh, yeah. yeah, like a little tiny 
almost like a Lego Man hand. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I I recently just had to magnetize a set of yep. these inceptors yeah. that I've been working on, and yeah, I found that just lopping them off and sticking some little magnets on the top, yeah, and then on the base of the models um, was a lot easier than. I imagine the pains of trying to secure it to those flight stands. Yeah, I mean, sticking it on isn't a problem. It's just having it stay there because the joint between the what I'm now referring to as Lego hand connection and the the kind of stand itself, there's a, quite a thin bit of plastic there, so that just snaps off. Yeah, it's it's well, it's so rubbish. What I did was I I basically I sort of leveled them out, so I cut the little Lego hand off, so it had just like a yeah. single flat edge to the top of the flight stand. And then I glued a magnet to the top of it. Yeah, I I basically just put glued super glued the magnet to the top of the flight stand and put a blob of green stuff on it to keep it in place because I am uh, professional. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Yeah. So speaking of utmost professionalism, Dave, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I wouldn't say professional, I'm distinctly amateur. I do something very different for my job. Uh, but I, uh, uh, I've i not been painting as many vehicles as, uh, as Dan have, uh, but I've got a fair few things done. Over, uh, it's been a while since I think I've actually been on a paint station garrison section. I think I've just kind of missed them. So um, I completed uh, some more Rainbow Warriors, a Rainbow Warrior Terminator Captain uh, that I'm going to use in Space Hulk. So I've used the old remember the original Space Marine Captain, the metal one that came with the old, old box set. I think, uh, I don't know it's called Cloud Runner or nicknamed Cloud Runner, but I, I got him done. I posted a picture of him on the Facebook group uh, a while ago. Um, and I also painted a Thunderfire cannon for my Rainbow Warriors because I needed it for the tournament that I was attending. Yeah. I did have an old rapier that I would have been using as a Thunderfire cannon, <laughs> but I finally got around to painting a, a proper one. Yeah. Although I don't know where I picked it up from. I guess uh, uh, you, you never really have trouble with three colour minimum. Uh, no, no, three colour minimum doesn't make for a rainbow wire, does it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it was an old um, uh, fine cast piece, and it looks battered because of the warpy, warpy nature of the, the fine cast on the armour plates around the body of the cannon. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I can't say I really enjoyed painting the thing, but it's good. It's in my home, so that's fine. Um, I finished a Primaris Lieutenant for my Mentor Legion, so they're moving along slowly. I painted two resin craters that I picked up ages ago from a war game show, and I glued onto six-inch squares for my modular terrain project that's been going on for years. And I I used some water effect. I've never really used water effect uh, before (laughs) at all. But I picked, yeah, I know, for the centre of a crater that I'd painted in like green swirly. And um, I, I picked up some green stuff world splash gel, which uh, was an interesting thing to use. And it's always fun trying new stuff out. I, I have a, an interesting anecdote, not very interesting, about water effect. In that one time I accidentally used it as PVA glue to stick some sand on the base. Because it did. did it, work? it worked really well, actually. But. <laughs> It was a lot more expensive than PVA glue. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like, mm. Yeah. Um, what else have I... Yeah, no, no. If, uh, if it works, it works. What else have I painted? I painted, um, I painted an abandoned statue that I post up as well. I'm really quite pleased with it. I just wanted to practice some weathering techniques, and I got this old 3D printer old. A 3D printed statue that a friend had sent me because he'd printed it off and didn't want to keep it. 
and it was like a large man, sort of the size of one and a half times of a dreadnought in, in a sitting pose. And I painted up like an abandoned hero and then just added lots of weathering effects. I used cheapish paint, so it rubbed off to the grey gray, gray base coat in some places and then stippling and, and dry brushing to get weathered effects and then just loads and loads of tufts and grass and a little bit of, of a rubberized horse hair in there. Really pleased with the way that came out. Use that on the tabletop quite a lot of the club since uh, just kind of fun tiles like an old abandoned statue there. Um, I painted some Daleks, I painted some gold Daleks and some grey Daleks, so I don't think I posted those in our group, but um, uh, they were kind of fun to paint. I've got some red ones I'm halfway through as well. Uh, I painted some generic sci-fi adventurers that I just dug out the bottom of the lead mountain. Goodness knows where they're from. Some people have posted and told me where they're from on the groups I've painted them on. But, uh, you know, just kind of uh, experimented really with the, with the contrast effects, silicon grey over silver. Uh, gives a really nice, uh, slightly aged sort of silver space to style. Yeah, so they were kind of fun to do. And then, then one of the big things I've been doing recently, again, narrative, really just trying some narrative in different games. I'm uh, with some friends, we're quite getting into Stargrave, which is, is not a Games Workshop game, it's from Osprey Games. Uh, it's about a small gang uh, of adventurers uh, exploring the galaxy for riches in a, in a galaxy starting to fall apart. So very much like Frostgrave, but in space. And I painted a crew for that that's led by um, a character who looks rather a lot like Dusty Bin from the early 80s TV quiz show, for those of us old enough to remember. Yeah, you mentioned him on last episode, I think. Or, no, it was the, uh, it was on Carol Conversation. Yeah. 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 It's good to learn uh, more about Sir Dusty Bin. <laughs> Go yeah, check absolutely. that out on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's got a whole crew behind her now, so um, yeah. That's been kind of fun as well. And then what I'm working on now, uh, well, this evening I'm painting monsters for Stargrave. So I've got some Do not know uh, how you're painting creatures. Uh, I'm painting with inks and paint with uh, flow retarder. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've got some creatures from Blind Beggar Miniatures, um, which he, he's a small manufacturer who just does loads of runs of, of different bits. But I've got these things he's got called Noifs, some mature Noifs, which are quite big resin pieces that I've had to do a, a bit of work to, to bring together and fill some gaps and sculpt some fur to get together. Um, and they're like, um, they're sort of like, what are the elephant things called in the original Star Wars? Banthers. Yeah. So they're, they're sort of like banthers and sort of like woolly rhinos, well not rhinos, woolly mammoths maybe, but a sort of an alien version of that. So quite nice creatures. I might even use them as squigs in future mm -hmm. as well. Um, so, I've got an idea for multi-uses for them. So I've been, I've painted their fur brown, I'm washing it browning this evening. Uh, and I've got some sort of like ape men primitive things uh, that are resin as well. And I've painted those grey and I've just been washing those with the black templar. And I'll, I'll dry brush them up with a little bit of uh, grey to make sort of silverback gorilla, but sort of alien primitive type things. So they're kind of fun. I've got a squad of Saturnine Terminators, well, third-party Saturnine Terminators I got from a Kickstarter that I'm painting up as Rainbow Warriors, which is kind of fun. And then just lots and lots of little bits, uh, weird rats and dwarves, and I'm just, I just needed to do something not 40k for a couple of weeks, and then uh, I'll get back to painting my Space Marine armies. <laughs> and in a couple of weeks, you'll have them done, <laughs> yeah. because of the pace you work at. And they'll have giant rats and all sorts to face against them as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll get back 
to my death watch and my uh, mental legion my you put me to shame uh, to shame sometimes, Dave, with how much you get through, because I can tell you now that since the last time that we, <laughs> we checked in with Pain Station Garrison, I'm in fact still just working on the six Lamenters and Scepters <laughs> and my Burner Bomber. Okay, well, I mean, those Lamenters are complex, let's be fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, uh, both... So technically, it's three units because it's two sets of um, three man Inceptor squads and then this Burner Bomber. Um, and I have been enjoying working on them, um, finding time where I can. Um, but I feel like I've, I've got like my recipe for these Lamenters down now, and I'm going to be starting on the shoulder pads for them shortly. <laughs> but, um, but I've got all the like the layers and the highlights and everything down on the yellow armor. So now. Which on the Inceptor suits is basically seventy percent of the model, and I've already completed all the bases, so they're all textured and painted and grass tufted and everything because they've been done separately because the, these flight stands. So it really is just weapons, details, and transfers now, really, and then they'll be done. So I'm hoping they should be done in Eldador next by the next time we check in. <laughs> Um, and my burner bomber is also nearing completion because I, if you've seen on my Instagram, I build my Orky aircraft in sub assemblies. So, in the case of the burner bomber, it's in five parts because there's the the grot gunner, the orc pilot, the main. Um, like chassis of the aircraft itself and then the pair of wings and I've got both the crew members and both the wings done now more or less the second wing just needs its weathering um, so then I'm just on to the, the main body of it which sounds like that would be the, <laughs> the largest part of it but actually it's the um, it's almost like the least detailed so it should it should be quite quick to paint compared to the others because like the wings have got multiple missile racks and bombs on them and I've been painting this you know hot rod flame pattern across all of them so there's the least coverage of that to do on the whole um, and the the two crew members are separate pieces so it's it's coming together nicely and the base is already done that's been done for about six months because <laughs> I, uh, I actually sculpted up and painted all the flight stands for all three of my aircraft in one go when I worked on the Waz Bomb Blaster jet last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, that is also nearing completion. Very cool. Um, and hopefully I can get through all that to probably start adding to my um, work pile for my orcs in the near future. <laughs> Does that mean you've invested in a recent uh, release not an immediately recent but an upcoming one um I'll, i should hopefully soon be looking forward to a mega armored war boss and some death copters and possibly even a part of the gargant <laughs> i guess <laughs> the head part perhaps it would technically be the first titan model i've ever painted <laughs> fair <laughs> Um, but you've never lived until you've painted eyes on six millimeter miniatures. <laughs> it depends when the eye in this case is as big as a mock boy. 
<laughs> even if it is six millimeter scale. Well, not six millimeter, but you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's looking fun. I mean, between hopefully I'm going to get the set of new Orky terrain in the kill team box, and then I've already got a mech workshop. And then there's the Gargant head as well. Funnily enough, the Orc terrain range is actually quite varied and extensive now for a Games Workshop range, true. especially a Xenos one. Yeah. In fact, I'm not, I'm not 100% think... sure, but I think with the release of the, the Gargant bunker head, um, I think, will that make Orcs the first race to have two fo unique fortification options? outside of the no range of generic uh, <laughs> imperial stuff um a while back the tau got a whole load of uh stuff didn't they they've got the floaty walls oh yes the the tide wall nexus whatever yeah. it is there's like four different parts of that you build together and stuff well fair enough give us um what two more pieces and the orcs will be called yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. the tau boys <laughs> I mean, they're cooler, obviously. Oh, lots cooler. I mean, it's a Gargant. Yeah. And a mech shop to improve said Gargant. So are you thinking of uh, using that in your army, or are you thinking of just having it as terrain? Um, or both? Probably both. I mean, put it this way. I have a Death Skull army, and it's a giant Death Skull. This is true, yes. <laughs> so it's going to be going in there. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> and if it's not a desk or one already, it's going to get looted very shortly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've, uh, I, I, I want to use it in my army, so I hope it's going to be good. I mean, I have plans to use the mech shop as well anyway, so who knows? I might even up picking up a freaking second workshop so I can use a fortification network detachment <laughs> and use like three different fortifications. Who knows? But in either case, that is, uh, that is on my to-be-purchased list. Not so much my to-be-painted list, because it needs to come out first. <laughs> so yeah, I'll tell, you I what, think, I'll tell uh, you what isn't on my to-be-purchased list. Go on. The B-Snagger box set. Is that because it's been purchased, or because you couldn't get hold yes. of it? Yes! <laughs> I got it. Lovely. I mean, it sounds like it's... Uh, I, I don't know how many people haven't managed to get hold of a copy. I don't know if it's a yeah. <laughs> city scenario or if it's an Indomitus scenario. It's yet to be determined. But Somewhere it between seems the two, it was very popular. At least the game for it is already in widespread support, so I think the same as Kurt City. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they don't suddenly decide to kill off orcs and never talk about them again. <laughs> I think it'll be more likely the, the annoyance that surrounded the Sisters release is much sim yeah. similar to that, I think. And, yeah. Um, actually, Sisters have gone on to be quite a large part of the central 40k story, so uh, promising for the orcs. I guess so. Just wait till we but get to Octarius. Give it, give it six months when we'll be doing 40k fun facts Octarius and I'm sure there will be some ridiculous orky shenanigans that you'll be trying to work out whether it's true or if or not I've made it up. Yes. <laughs> that will be quite a challenge I feel. Well 
why don't we find out how much of a challenge it's going to be for Warzone Charidon? Because I think it's about time that we get there and we jump into our first ever 40k fun facts. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. You kids listen up now, and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Right, get out of here. Narrative War Painter is now open for painting commissions, specialising in good quality, Army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. Right you kids, get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paint line. It better be ready and faster when you get back, and make sure to tell them RedTube sent you. You might get some extra special. And we're back, guys. And I am really excited to be back for this one because <laughs> this is the first ever 40k fun facts quiz. And tonight is going to be Mr. Dan and Mr. Dave going head to head to try and work out who can guess the 40k law of Warzone Charidon the best. Yes. So, I mentioned at the top of the show that basically this is going to be um, it's going to be a little quiz where I'm going to run down a bunch of questions that are taken from the events of um, Warzone Charidon Act 1, The Book of Rust. And each question is going to be multi-choice and only one of them is going to be true. So both Dan and Dave can pick which one they think is going to be true uh, before I reveal it, and we're going to keep a tally and see who who knows their 40k law better, or I guess who knows the 40k universe better. And we have the option that we could both be wrong, do we? Oh yes, definitely. So uh, all the questions have three answers. So if you both pick a different one each, and in fact you're both wrong because <laughs> the third option is the correct one then there'll be no points scored for that question. All right. <clears throat> so, to clarify for our listeners, this is not the case of like remembering information that they've read. I've read through all the law in the Book of Rust, and neither Dan or Dave has yet had a chance to delve deep into reading 
what is a good like forty pages of you know narrative law for this narrative campaign? Um, so it's not that they know the stuff and I'm asking them to remember it. It's that they've presumably never heard of or are aware of these facts and they're just hearing it for the first time. <laughs> right. Yep. So it's all new and exciting. It is all new and exciting, and I think it's going to be fun. And I'm, uh, I've had a lot of fun writing these questions because obviously, for every real fact, I've had to fabricate two fake ones <laughs> that have to be somewhat equally convincing. Yeah. So, it's so going what to be you're saying is, if there's any Games Workshop writers listening in, there is this. This should be considered as a job interview. For there's, there's, there's quite a lot of free ideas here. Mm-hmm. Feel free to make any of these canon, and then we can come back and retroactively adjust scores. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, it's I've broken it down to three sections, and um, the first section is kind of a, a getting to know you section. Um, and it's all about the Charadon sector itself, sort of pre the um, invasion. So it's more of a little bit of a uh, backstory to Charadon. So we'll jump straight in with our first question, and this should hopefully give you an idea and set the tone then of like how they're going to be moving forwards. So question one. As the prime Forge world in the Charadon sector, Forge world Metallica endlessly produces countless weapons and machinery for use across the Imperium. Which of the following is a deliberate trademark feature of all Metallican pattern weapons and machinery? So something that is deliberately done to these products <laughs> that they send out and not a, uh, a funny um, side effect or of production. This is a deliberate modification the tech priests make. Okay. Is it A, that they are louder than normal... <laughs> B, that they are all low-level radioactive, or C, they can all be remotely disabled by Metallican tech priests. Well, I think the the radiation one is a red herring, Dan. <clears throat> and the reason I say that is because um, that's a feature of one of the Necromunda gangs, that all of their tech is radioactive, right? The Bansars? Funnily enough, that that is true. Uh, I, I, I'm not awarding a bonus point for it, though, because this is not <laughs> a Necromunda quiz. But that is, in fact, a true Necromunda fact. Yes. So I, I think that's that's wrong. I, I think the 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 loudness thing, I, that's your orc coming out. So I, I suspect the weapons can be disabled so that they can't be used against metallic forces. And that does sound like a smart thing to do. For a Forge world, uh, that you know, Forge worlds like to have their their own autonomy a certain amount, and uh, there certainly have been times when they have clashed with other Imperial forces, right? Very uh, much so. In fact, it almost happens at one point in Book of Rust in the law. Cool. We'll get to that then. Remember, remember that for future questions. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or oh, is that a red headring? Well, maybe. Tony playing the the 4D chess there to throw us off. <laughs> uh, 
I don't think there's a reason you can't disagree, you can't agree with me. If, if, oh yeah, yeah. Feel free to turn this into a collaborative uh, detective piece, or I mean, feel if free we, to just try and compete for points. If we agree all the way down, it's a draw, isn't it? So yeah. fine. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you on this one. So we're going for C. Can be remotely disabled by metallic and tech priests. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm very pleased to inform you that you are both wrong. <laughs> Okay, then. It is, in fact, A, they are louder than normal. <laughs> okay. Louder. Fair enough. <laughs> All metallic and pattern weapons and machinery are designed to be louder when in use than normal in order to better proclaim the glory of the Omnissiah to those around and to the okay. enemies of the Imperium as their weapons go about their work. I mean, I guess that does make sense in, <clears throat> in this sort of classic games workshop silly name thing of if it's Forge World Metallica they're going to make everything loud (laughs) pretty much so yes I hope um, I hope that sets the tone for the rest of the quiz quite yeah (laughs) Uh, a louder than necessary tone yeah (laughs) so uh, the Charadon sector as a whole uh, so we're on to question two now. Uh, the Charadon sector as a whole consists of three subsectors, which are funnily enough the various ones we've talked about in the flashpoints. Um, and the first line of defense in these sectors are a trio of gateway worlds. These are star systems that are found on the outermost edge of the three Charadon subsectors and sit sentinel over the primary warp routes into each of these regions of space. Any invading foe would need to traverse these systems to gain access to the rest of the sector. As gateway worlds, these planets have a unique defense system for repelling any invaders. But what is it? Is it A, gravitational claws, B, planetary lasers, or C, radiation minefields? Hmm. Well, you said unique, so it can't be planetary lasers because... Like everyone and their mum in forty k has them. That's not unique. Yeah. Like farmers and farmers' mums. The gravitational claws thing isn't that from? Um, isn't that what, again with the orcs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that what what they had in the the thirty third millennium? You're thinking uh, of the lift the gravitational chakras. attack moons. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm thinking of the gravitational attack moons. Oh, the yeah. attack moons, yes, the one that nearly made it to Terra. And from the prime orcs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does sound pretty orky. I'm, I'm going to go with yeah, the radiation. Yeah. That's uh, it's a fairly common theme with I, the Admech. Uh, and it is, but I'm going to yeah. go with the, the gravitational attack clause. All right, then. We're splitting. Ooh, we're splitting the needle. Would you like to know who is getting their first point? Is the answer none no. of us? The answer is neither of you, because it is in fact B, planetary lasers. What? Planetary? They're not you. What's special about them that makes them unique? Right, so each of these gateway worlds has a planetary Ordinatus class superweapons capable of firing on enemy vessels at the very edge of their respective star systems. So we're talking about a weapon on Earth that could hit something by Pluto. Right. So what we're talking about 
when we, we thought planetary lasers meant lasers that shoot from the planet, and what they actually meant was laser that is the planet, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. It's a Death He's... Star situation, isn't it? There's no space station. It's just it's yeah, small. cool. So uh, <laughs> mm, it's a good start. <laughs> I mean, we, just, we did split on one. Just think about that, though. Like these are, I mean, they are classed as ordinatus class super weapons. So these are the things that the mechanic can produce that are all considered like unique constructs designed to do one thing. They're not replicated anywhere else in the Imperium. And if they're unique constructs, how can there be one on each gateway world? Because they probably all have a slightly different volume of firing. <laughs> be... Of course, because they're louder than they... usual, so that they can battle <laughs> the most. Exactly, way. because these planetary lasers are louder than standard planetary lasers. <laughs> all right, then. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the Ordinatus-class superweapons capable of firing on ships at the edge of the star system. Not even just like in orbit or anything like that. I mean... Just think about the level of <laughs> mathematics involved in targeting that thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you do, you don't want to come close because your emperor, well, not your emperor class ships, but your despoiler class ships, all similar, are just going to get struck out of the uh, <laughs> out of the stars. Yep. However, question three is a little more native um, in nature, so. The death world of Sabira is classified as such due to several natural phenomena. Which of the following is one of them? Is it A, deadly green fog, B, tank-eating ferrovore plants, or C, all natural water on the planet is highly corrosive? Hmm. Tank eating plants, did he say? He did tank say tank eating, eating plants. Ferrovores plants. So metal eating plants. Metal eating plants. Yeah, and, uh, I mean that I can't imagine anything evolving to eat tanks, but that does seem kind of 40k. It is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I feel that's probably more a fact as to envision scale of these plants. Because yeah. obviously if the design if they've just evolved to eat metals, you know, metal is a naturally occurring substance. It's appearing True. in the form of a tank rolling past is not so much <laughs> natural. But... Hmm. Uh, the, the clouds are green, green gas. It sounds a bit World War One. Um, yeah. And all natural be... water being okay. highly corrosive is um, interesting. I mean, that's... That's plausible, but I mean, can you settle it? I mean, if it was like if it was water, it wouldn't be corrosive, though. If it, if it were corrosive, it would be something else. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would require scientific explanation, which wouldn't be possible because it's 40k. Yes, so. this is true. So it's quite credible. Yep. I think I'm going to go for the, uh, the tank-eating plants. I, I, I do like the tank-eating plants as well, but I think based on the fact that it makes no scientific sense, I will go for corrosive water. Who's splitting the needle again. <laughs> I can tell you, it is in it's fact... The, it's the fog, a, isn't it? <laughs> It's deadly green fog. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're good at this. Oh, we're doing well at round one. Now, would you like to know the details of how it is deadly? 
Go on. In fact, yes, please. Tell you what, I'm going to give you a bonus point if one of you can come even remotely close to in what way this green fog is deadly. Right. Uh... <laughs> the green fog is deadly because it, it's not just that you breathe it in, it makes you uh, forget where you are and um, then all of the other plants eat you because you're not taking care of yourself on the death world. Mm. I can tell you, Dave, that that is not the case. So how about Dan? Do you want to guess why the green fog is deadly? It's not hallucinogenic as dips. Just... I'm going to guess that the green fog is deadly because uh, it is extremely flammable and explodes on contact with anything remotely hot. Oh, so no. <laughs> it's, okay. Honestly, it's one of the most 40k things I've heard in a long time. Because Go on then. It's ridiculous. So this is it's deadly because the creeping green mists are capable of hardening in seconds into a crushing solid matter. <laughs> okay. okay. So the way I imagine this is <laughs> if someone like, you know, two stories above you suddenly uh, like threw a bucket of wet cement out yeah. the window and on the way down, by the time it reaches you, it is solid cement. Casey is super good. Nice. And, but imagine that on the scale of an entire fog bank. So this yep. stuff just suddenly turns solid as anything and just crushes everything under it. Yeah, I could see that being okay. a problem. Uh-huh. And while the book doesn't specify how, apparently the locals have uh, adapted ways of avoiding it. Basically yeah. being, being you know, very aware of how to avoid this crushing green fog. Mm. <laughs> So, question four. The ocean world of Fathom is notable for which of the following phenomena? A. It has zero landmass from pole to pole. B. It has seemingly no ocean floor. Or C. Water levels haven't dropped despite thousands of years of constant siphoning by the Mechanicum. So... I think we know this one, Dan. Do we? I think this came up. I think Fathom came up in last week's discussion. It definitely did. About the water world where they were floating beds and they harnessed pumice uh, and made them into the floating platforms. So there is a seabed because they harvest pumice from the equator and live near the poles. Um, I think he's got no land mass, though. I mean, I don't think it's the other one. It is an ocean world, so yeah. that would make sense. And what's what's the other one then? Uh, sorry, uh, Tony. The other option is the fact that water levels have not dropped despite thousands of years of constant siphoning by the Mechanicum. Um, I don't remember that being part of what we talked about last week. No, that there was any siphoning going on. Hmm. I, I think I'll go with an old landmass. It does sound very funny. Because I'll be though. wrong all the way through. I might as well keep up my streak. <laughs> uh, I think I will also go with there being no landmass. Um, primarily because you said Mechanicum, where I think you meant Mechanicus. 
I'm sure I meant Mechanicus, either or. They've been been harvesting water. Therefore, on the off chance that you read that directly out of a book, it would be wrong. (laughs) Well, I can tell you for a fact that it's just me making a typographical error in the documents because C is true. (laughs) Damn it. So it has been siphoned by the Mechanicus. However... Thank you. You will both get a point because this is, in fact, a trick question and all three facts are true. Okay, right. Yay. Pity point. Got it. <laughs> and I will tell you now that that is the only trick question in the quiz. But it's just, it's really fascinating that, yeah, the Ocean World of Fathom has zero landmass and therefore the only, like, places of landing on the entire surface of this planet are the artificially constructed floating rigs that the Mechanicus has put there for thousands of years. The purpose being that they've spent all that time siphoning the ocean for its natural resources, and yet despite those thousands of years of, you know, completely non-conscientious destruction of the environment, it doesn't seem to be affected by it. Hmm. The planet just seems to remain abundantly full of ocean life and water levels have never dropped. The Mechanicum seems to be unable to ecologically destroy this planet despite its best efforts. Very unusual. Also, that doesn't sound like one kind at all. Also, saying there are no more trick questions is exactly the kind of thing someone would say who had put more (laughs) trick questions in. (laughs) But it shows we weren't paying attention to what we were talking about last week. (laughs) Quite proud of that. But then, in addition, yes, there is in fact no ocean floor. So I don't know where you were hearing pumice <laughs> being talked about, Dave, because I don't I'm think sure that was. pumice was floating up and they gathered it up and made the island, floating islands out of them. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, they're definitely obviously just are harvesting all natural resources, which might include some pumice, Mate. but I don't believe it came up in conversation. I, I listen to other game podcasts as well. Maybe, maybe that came up <laughs> as, as a, a traveler world or something. I don't know. Never mind. Right. Well, on to question five, which is, in fact, a two-parter. Okay. So this is in regards to Mr. Fabricator General Heptus Clang. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great name. It is, right? <laughs> As Fabricator General of Fordrill Metallica, Heptus Clang has undergone over 700 years of augmentation since his early days as a lowly cybernetic datasmith. First question. After such extensive reconstruction, which are the only remaining parts of Clang's original organic body? Is it A, some parts of his brain and skull, though the skull is now purely decorative? (laughs) B, a few parts of his brain and his favourite patches of radiation-ravaged skin? Okay. Or C, only a handful of gilded vertebrae and a few slivers of brain matter. Or or D, his firm flight stand. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was his first bionic. (laughs) Funnily enough, um, Clang does now have um, anti-grav um, repulsors okay, built cool. into his physical form. <laughs> but that's not yep. part of this question. 
I, I think it's probably the Gilded Vertebrae because that sounds very 40k. It does, doesn't it? Because mm. they, they don't always keep their, their first brain, do they? Yeah. Although some bits of uh, radiation ravaged skin sounds like a particularly weird 40k thing to do. Yeah. It's almost like Tony's been reading all this lore for years. <laughs> almost, almost, like that. almost as if I've been doing it enough to be able to have a, a podcast about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let us know if you do that. I'd be interested, Tony. <laughs> I'm going to go for the gilded, uh, gilded vertebrae. Cool. I'm going to go for the uh, uh, the radiation ravaged skin. Nice choices. However. <laughs> Dave pulls away in the lead. <gasps> Dave gets a uh, point. Oh, no. <laughs> it is indeed all that remains of his original organic body, a handful, it's not even all of them, just a handful of gilded vertebrae and a few slivers of brain matter. Oof. Yeah, but you don't know how big his replacement hands are. This is true. Well, Or how many funnily, of them he's got. Indeed. Funnily enough, part two of our questions on Heptus Clang. How big are his hands? How, how big is he? While okay. almost nothing of Clang's organic body now remains, as we've just determined, his physical form, however, is quite large, thanks to all his augmented enhancements. As such, which class of Imperial vehicle is Clang now the equivalent size of? <laughs> and we've got four options for this one. Okay, go on then. A, an armoured sentinel. B, a Lehman Russ battle tank. C, an armager knight. Or D, a Space Marine Atreus super heavy battle tank. <laughs> yeah, well, this is 40k, right? Yeah. So it's the Atreus battle tank. <laughs> I know that the... Um, uh, what's... The, uh, I, I assume the Fabricator General of Mars who sits on the High Lords of Terror, is uh, the, uh, allegedly the size of an office block. Um, this is true. So um, that is uh, that is definitely within within uh, realms of possibility, isn't it? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit lower, uh, and I'm gonna suggest the he is the equivalent of an armager. Oh, are those our final answers? Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you, Dave gets another point. Oh, Heptus oh, Clang is in fact the size of a Space Marine Atreus super heavy battle tank. And the reason why bit, this comparison he's a big is... big lad, isn't he? He is. The, uh, <laughs> the reason why it's a particularly apt comparison is because he is also supported by anti-grav plates similar to the Atreus. Right. So, yeah, considering that biologically all that remains of him are some vertebrae and brain matter slivers, and yet his augmentations make him the size of a super heavy tank. Mm. (laughs) He's basically just a computer chip now at this point in that machine. Nice. (laughs) Machine space going to do what machine space got to do. So uh, (laughs) when's that model coming out then? Next Mechanicum Codex, maybe. Yeah. 
Mechanicus, even. <laughs> <laughs> Question six. As warp-spawned plagues and infections began to emerge on several worlds across the Charadon sector, how did Clang respond to the plague zombie outbreaks on the hive world of St. Espine's Gift? Did he A. Dispatch Mechanicus ships to cleanse the plague? Did he B. Dispatch Mechanicus ships to quarantine the planet and observe it? Or C. Did he ignore it entirely? I'm going to say A. Cleanse. It's, yeah. It's 40k. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cleanse is one of the other option is, is hubris, and he ignored it entirely. It's possible. I in in the back of my head, I have the idea that the um, uh, Metallica, the Metallica Forge World is is noted for being quite cruel and uncaring. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm going to suggest that uh, nuke the site from orbit is the only way to be sure. And I'm going to use the same reasoning to say ignore. Fair enough. Ooh. Fair enough. Well, I can tell you, Dan earns himself a point to catch hey. up and only be one behind. Because yes, Clang did reason it was best to cleanse the plague. Now, his determination was the best way to solve this biological plague was to remove all um, overabundance of biological material. Yeah. Which in 40k terms, means that Clang dispatched a squadron of Eradication Arc-class vessels to unleash macro-rad cleanser batteries upon the planet, annihilating all organic life and reducing the hive cities to glowing slag lakes in a matter of hours, leaving the world's atmosphere now choked with the whirling ashes of uncounted billions. Why did the hive cities collapse if he attacked all the atomic matter, organic matter? Because the radiation uh, just destroyed it. <laughs> so his logic was to make sure all the biological life was gone. The best way to do that was just to annihilate everything. <laughs> okay. I, I, I know what you're saying, but yeah, basically, like he just melted everything with radiation, <laughs> like all yeah. these hive cities across this world. I would guess that the um, not... the radiation, like, I assume the rad cleanser sends out like a beam of radiation, and they'd be converging on the points of the highest population. Pretty so much, would, uh, like these eradication the most intensity in the hive cities, so melty. These eradication arcs are basically you know massive spacefaring vessels of a near heretical design. <laughs> near heretical, they are, yeah. They're they're very. Um, um, what's the word? Like un- unorthodox, pointy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pointy. Um, and then, funnily enough, very clang. Or- yeah, very admic. But just to add to that, Clang ordered this same eradication order twice more on two other worlds in the system. I, I he doesn't know about the sump, does he? I bet, I bet some of those sump crocs survived. <laughs> and then finally. The last question in our first section. Question seven. Mass insurrection and civil war in the Charidon sector was only averted by the arrival of who in the sector? 
A. Rebute Gilliman and a Torchbearer fleet. B. An execution force of Imperial Assassins. Or C. Typhus and the Death Guard. <laughs> uh, I mean, we know, I don't we think... know Typhus and the Death Guard did arrive. I don't think the the appearance of assassins would quell rebellion. Because they wouldn't really be known that they were there, would it? But would their actions have caused the quelling of rebellion? Possible. Possible. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't remember Robo being there. So I think I'd have to go with the Death Guard. Hmm. I mean, the thing is, it seems like Death Guard would turn up wanting there to be insurrection and all that. Feels counterproductive. Yeah, Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, you sold me. I go with the Assassins, because it's more ridiculous than Gurdyman. Fair. Uh, hmm. See, I've talked myself out of Death Guard, haven't I? <laughs> um yeah we'll we'll uh we'll go assassins as well fair enough i can tell you that you did indeed talk yourselves out of the correct answer of course <laughs> and it is straightforward in the yes Typhus and the Death Guard did arrive, and their arrival did prevent mass insurrection and civil war against Heptus Clang and his campaign of eradication of biological life. And instead, all the other Imperial forces and planetary governors suddenly had a Death Guard invasion to be dealing with. So the arrival of Typhus and the Death Guard actually galvanized the Imperials into dealing with a greater common threat than their own fabricated genera. So yes, it was indeed Tyvus and the Death Guard. <laughs> Even though it was his sort of like forerunner plagues that were causing the uh, yeah, the eradication acts to be deployed. Place. Ultimately, if he just sat off and waited a bit longer, chances are the Imperials in the Charidon sector would have turned on each other soon after. Yeah. <laughs> so, moving on to section two of the quiz, and this one is going to be all about the Death Guard, because, as you can imagine, a book where they are the main antagonists, it features quite a lot of ridiculous, nurgly names for things. So, round two is called The Death Guard Name Game. (laughs) I've got a couple of categories, and these are going to be one point per correct answer, and this is a true or false round. I'm going to read through a series of names for things, and you both have to decide whether or not you think that is a true name that features in this book or whether or not it is one that I have generated thanks to um, the Realm of Plastics Death Guard name generator online. (laughs) So we're going to start off with some of the major figures of the Death Guard present in the conflict and no I will not be including Typhus in this (laughs) as we we do know he is a real character name. So Section 1. Lords of the Death Guard. Which of the following names do you believe to be true and which to be false? 
First up, Lord Fraxoplasmox. <sighs> True. Uh, false. That is a point for Dave. It is true. <sighs> then we have Lord Necretus Festophage. Ooh. Go on, then you can choose first. So. Ooh. That's, that sounds like a name generator name to me. I'll say false. Yeah, I'll say true then. That is a point to Dan. It is false. Hey. Then we have Lord Fekrot the Reaper. Uh, that sounds like a generator name as well. False. No, I also think it's false. Maybe. You know what I've just realised though? We don't know that they've not used the same online generator. That's true. <laughs> this yeah. is true. Oof. Ah, uh, that throws all the logic out. Damn. I think. I think my my thought is if there is a Death Guard character who's called the Reaper, you think like Mortarian with his giant scythe would come along and say, "Oi, that's yeah. me." Yeah, that's yeah. what we're saying to Lord Fekirot, the Reaper. I think we're both saying false. I'm saying false anyway. I'm saying false. You would both be wrong. It is, in fact, ah. true. He's a legitimate character in the Book of Rust. Okay, then. Next up, we have Plague Captain Oglosmus Bilge. Oglosmus Bilge. I, I mean, that sounds a bit... That sounds like somebody's going for a pun and not quite achieved it. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm going to say true. <laughs> mm. I, well, yes, I I think it's true. That sounds like a true name. Maybe. It is indeed a true name. You both get a point. Hey. Then we have Plague Captain Gangroyal the Tainted. That definitely feels like online generated false. Yeah, it does to me as well. Yeah, we say false. It is false. Both get a point. Hey, we're doing it. We're doing it. You, you're working yeah, it out. There, Dan. Yeah, we cracked the code. Next, we have some uh, some demon prince names. Okay. Gothungus the Rust Hand. That, that does feel like the kind of name that came out of Give Demons. Name Demons. Obviously, this is not his true name. See, the thing yeah, is... not his true, true name. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like they do use a random generator for demon names. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've, uh, they've produced several over the years, haven't they? Oh, they have, yes. I did think about using the um, one from like War of the Spider, but I, uh, I didn't find it online before I found the Realm of Plastic name generator, so I just used that one. Cool. Uh, so I'm going to say that's a true one. So we're both saying true. It is in the book. Uh, yes, I think so. Both going true? It is false. It oh. is a name generator one. <laughs> and then last for our Lords of the Death Guard. Mm-hmm. We have 
the Sistlings. Ooh. Uh, I, I mean, I want to. Sounds like a K-pop. I band. want to know more about them. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yes, true. False. It's false. I do think that. I do think that sounds like uh, uh, something else entirely. That is, in fact, true, and Dan equalizes the score with that. Hey. Yeah, the Sislings are, in fact, a tri-conjoined Nurgle demon prince. So it's a series <laughs> of cool. three yeah, demonic entities uh, that form the Sislings. Oh, I want to build that. <laughs> I know, right? It sounds like a cool idea for um, yeah. a conversion, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next up, we've got a couple of forces of the Death Guard. So these are a couple of like the Brotherhoods and units, and you know, like formations. Okay. Involved. Okay. First up, we have the Infested Brotherhood. I mean, that sounds sufficiently tame that it could really be in the book. I mean, it, it, that sounds like the most generic Death Guard like company name I could think of. Yeah. So. Uh, that True. doesn't really help me make a decision. <laughs> uh, I, I'll say false on the same grounds that he's saying true. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you, it is false and Dan takes the lead. Ah, yes. Next up, we have the Gristlepuss Guard. Ooh. I, I don't... False. That... That sounds name generated to it me. It does, doesn't it? But it also sounds kind of funky. Hmm. I think it's false, though. We both saying false? Yes. Yep. It is, in fact, true. Ah. <laughs> that is a legitimate Games Workshop name for a unit of, um, I think it's like Plague Marines, the Gristlepuss Guard. Nice. Let's send that. That right back to creative school. Oh. Next, we have the Carrion Claws. I, that sounds true to me. That sounds like a kind of name for a Death Guard unit. It does, doesn't it? What kind of unit would it be? Maybe uh, assault, assault, uh, possessed. Yes, yeah, I, I, I will claim it is true, and that it is a unit of possessed. Not that that's worth any points or anything, but you know. And uh, Dave, what are we going for? Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a true, true one. As well. uh, I'm not sure whether it's a possessed unit or not. Though. Well, I can tell you, it is a fictional unit, as it is false. Okay, but in your mind, was it a unit <laughs> of possessed? <laughs> um, possibly. It is now. I was thinking um, a squadron of Hellclaws, the aircraft. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> but it is neither, it is fake. Cool. Then we have Nal Murph's Blisterborn. Boo. That's that's true. Is that is that what happens when Smurfs catch Nurgle? <laughs> you saying true? Dan? I'm, I'm saying it's true because it fits the Games Workshop naming scheme of Nurgle things that is uh something 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 something. 
I'll say false then. I, I that could be because it, it does fit a scheme. I think that could be auto generated. It's true. It is in fact false. Uh, Game scores a point. Neck then and neck our, again. Our last unit for the forces of the Death Guard. This is Gorlock's Rot Souls. Uh, yes, I like it. True. Yeah, I think that's true as well. Um, the, the that that sounds like a possessed unit as well. Well, I will tell you now, it is both true. So you're both going to score that point, but I will offer up a bonus point if you can tell me what unit it is, because this is one where we do actually know what unit. Well, it, I already told it you. Represents. Do you think possessed? I think it's a possessed unit. And I think that's Plague Marines. It is, in fact, a unit of Blight Lord Terminators. Ah. <laughs> no bonus point. Okay. Next, we have the Plague Ships of the Death Guard that feature in the conflict. Okay. So these are names of ships in their fleet. Mm-hmm. First up, we have Cankersaw. True. Uh, go on the say it's true then. You going with true? There's no logic behind it, just true. It is indeed true. It is in fact the capital ship of a one plague captain Oglosmos Bilge. All right. Okay. There you go. Why didn't we know that? Because you've not read the book. book of us properly yet. <laughs> Uh, next, we have the plague ship Pox Mulch. Pox Mulch. Mm. All one word. Yeah, I don't like that one. I think that one's auto generated. And if it's not, it should be. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels slightly off, doesn't it? I, yeah. I will also say false for that. So we're both going false. Mm-hmm. It is in fact true. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible name for ship. Don't go anywhere near me. Next, we have the Tainted Fortress. No, it's a Slaneshi ship, isn't it? <laughs> it's a uh, it's a bit generic, that isn't it? Yeah. Nah, that's false. Yeah, it's false. It is indeed false. Yeah. Next, we have the Points. Hulking Menace. I mean, talk about generic. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, that could be an Imperial ship. That that could be literally 75% of everything in 40k. An Orc Rock, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, basically, yeah. Like 75% of things in 40k could be described as a Hulking Menace. <laughs> In that case, so true. false. <laughs> so, I like the way we use the same reasoning when it comes to different answers. Yeah. <laughs> it is quite funny. So we're going Dave true and Dan false. Yeah. Correct. It is, in fact, true. And that is a point for oh. Dave. Yes, the Hulking Menace oh. is indeed a Death Guard plague ship that invades the Charadon sector. Terrible name for ships. Yeah. And then finally, we have the. Repugnator, the repugnator. 
Yeah, I think I've heard of the Repugnator before. I, I think that was true. It sounds like a a ship. Um, but is it a Death Card one? Uh, I'm I'm going to say that is false. And uh, Dave, you're going true. Yep, it is indeed true. Oh, <laughs> and then he's opening up a lead. Well, is what ship is it? The Repugnator. Yeah, no, no. Do you have any more information about what it is? Nope. It was just a name. It's just one of the plague ships in okay. uh, Mr. Bilge's fleet. Uh, okay. Mr. Bilge. <laughs> um, and then obviously... Is that, is that Mary J. Bilge, the singer? <laughs> and then obviously we do also know that the Terminus Est is involved, but that is quite a famous ship. It is Typhus's own, yes. so I figured that you would know that one was true. Yep. Of course, in English, that means East Station. Right? <laughs> and then finally, we have a couple of names for some of the actual plagues unleashed by the Death Guard in the conflict. Ooh. So first up is the Nemesis Worm. Uh, um, I've got no idea. Like, I, It could be anything, couldn't it? Yep. Yeah. I'll say true. I'll say false. As a point for Dan, it is true. This is, in fact, hey. Typhus is like ace in the hole. This is the thing that he's trying to bring to Metallica to unleash upon it and infect the Iron World. Cool. Next. Is that Worm with a Y or Worm with a... Uh, worm with a U. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> fancy. Trixie. Next, we have the Dolores Death. Is that the one where you die when you get to 88 miles an hour? <laughs> That's the DeLorean <laughs> death. Okay. Ah, that doesn't feel right to me either. False. Mm. False. It is indeed false. Okay. Then we have the putrid pox. Oh, that's really generic. But is, what has that uh, insight given you previously? But that that tells us that the, it's the thing that makes plague zombies probably true. Uh, I think it's. I mean, we've we've had this before, haven't we? Where we both go to different conclusions based on the yeah. same logic. I think it's false. It's a false for Dan, true for Dave. Yep. It is indeed false. So that is a point for Dan. Hey. Evens. Even Steven. And then finally, in our Death Guard name game, we have The Saw. The Saw. S-O-R-E. As in oh. a weeping oh. saw. Just The Saw. The Saw. That's the name of a plague, allegedly. It is the name of a Nurgle infestation unleashed upon the galaxy. Uh, I mean, that's just so generic. By the same logic, true. Do you know what? I think I also will go true because it's such a a Games Workshop thing to sort of use a a one word. The generic word for thing 
as the scariest, nastiest version of that thing. You remember the sock invasion of Segmentum Pacificus, right? No, it was Segmentum Genericus, I think. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, we're both going true? Yes. Yeah. It is indeed true. So yeah. the saw is actually a basically a giant rip in reality that Typhus uh, nice. basically sacrifices an entire cardinal world in order to um, facilitate. And that isn't even his original plan for it. He has an alternate plan which doesn't come to fruition. And this is his backup of, oh, well, I've got this giant Nurgle sorceress thing in my belt I might as well use. And uh, he basically <laughs> uses it to rip a hole in one side of the um, the segmented, not segmented, the sector, um, and use it as a basically like a webway gate style yep. instantaneous warp route to Metallica. If in doubt, warp rift. Millions of Eldar souls cried out in pain as you described it as like a webway gate. <laughs> I know, right? But that's basically what it is because it's not that he's throwing himself into the warp and out again. It's sort of like that instantaneous portal effect. Yes. Yeah, um, and that's how he moves his forces from where he is in the se- in the sector to Metallica when uh, some of his lieutenants have failed in their efforts to <laughs> crush other parts of the Imperial defences. So yes, that was the Death Guard name game, and that was our round two. And funnily enough, at the end of round two or three, it's actually neck to ne- uh, neck and neck between Dave and Dan, I believe. It is. Yep. Um, if only the three players, we could be that uh, three threefold demon thing. <laughs> the sizzling, <laughs> sizzling. Yeah. <laughs> so then, finally, we have a few more questions to get through in section three: the assault on the Charadon sector itself. So this is more revolving around Typhus's actual invasion and some of the events that happen therein. So, question one: How were the retreating forces of the Astra Militarum's Savlar 88th Regiment slaughtered as they fell back towards fortified Mechanicus positions? Was it A, they were preyed upon by Drukari raiders, B, they were fired upon by the Mechanicus, or C, they were overrun by hordes of undead poxwalkers? Savlar. So they're the Chemdogs, aren't they? Funnily enough, yes. It's one of the uh, yep. sister regiments to the Armageddon Chemdogs. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we haven't heard anything about the Drakari yet in this quiz, so I'm going to go with them. Uh, and I'm going to go with the more cynical gun down by the Mechanicus because, you know, weak biology being corrupted. I mean, that is it's pretty 40k, isn't it? Well, funnily enough, Dan's logic is correct. The answer is B, fired upon by the Mechanicus, so the point goes to Dave. All right, fine. The explanation (laughs) being, Drukari infiltrators had intercepted and killed the Savlar messengers before they could inform the Mechanicus of their retreat. So with no saviour protocols enacted, the gun servitors of the Mechanicus positions opened fire on the retreating regiment. So it okay. wasn't that they were preyed upon by Drukari at all. It was literally, but it was the Drukari's intervention that caused the Mechanicus to gun them down. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Great. funnily enough, both Imperial forces were then ultimately destroyed by the actual pursuing Death Guard assaults that the <laughs> regiment was attempting to fall back from. Classic. Sneaky elves. Sneaky, sneaky elves. 
And yeah, that is more or less the extent of the involvement of the Drukari in this book, in the narrative. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> uh, basically, um, the idea is that before Typhus arrived, the Drukari had just been preying on the system anyway, just as they do. Yep. Um, and because of the fact that they're, you know, they're constantly on the move and they're here, there and everywhere, a lot of Imperial forces were out of position for the traditional defensive measures they would have to defend the system because they were busy trying to chase down these Drukari pirates. So, so they basically turned up and played a prank and then left. Pretty much. I mean, at one point... Sounds a bit more Harlequin, really, doesn't it? But, I mean, you say a prank, but at one point, Lilith Hexbrick <laughs> takes over an entire planet and turns it into a planet-sized gladiatorial arena. Just a prank, bro. Mm-hmm. And then, because it's 40k, there were then some other political rivals of hers that decided to do copycat tricks of this and capture their own planets and do the same thing in attempts to one-up her. So nice. multiple Imperial worlds descended into Drukari slave pits and gladiatorial fights for the amusement of their sakes. Well, if you've got if you've got a whole world as a gladiatorial pit, you can probably pitch um, captured slave uh, mechanicus the size of space marine battle tanks against each other. You can do the- yeah. theoretical fights. Who would win? Three castle and robots or thirty thousand Imperial citizens? Yeah. <laughs> is is this a um I threw waves of my own men at them until they reached their kill ca- kill quota and shut down. <laughs> See, I wasn't sure where Dave was going with that. I thought there might have been a gladiators joke in there. I I, I was reaching for one but I couldn't find one so I gave up. <laughs> I, I'll confess that. <laughs> <laughs> Captured citizens ready. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. On the mining world of Heliotir, how did local militia forces combat the traitor titans of Legio Morbidus? Oh. Was it A, by scaling the exterior of the titans with repurposed mining gear? B, hit and run demolition teams attacking from hidden mine entrances? Or C, collapsing the surface works in the ground underfoot the titans in order to topple them? That that last one is a tactic that Cyrus Kane used against Orc Gargants in his second novel. I mean, it does make sense. If you've got loads of mines, you just yeah. make the titans fall down. They, yeah, I mean, they I, all I, sound I, pretty good. It sounds pretty cool. Let's go for the, the uh, let's go for that one anyway. The undermining. Yeah. Uh... Are you saying they undermined the Traitor Titans? Yeah, option C, yep. And then? I mean, <laughs> that that does sound logical. It must be wrong in 40k then. Yeah, okay. In that case, I will go with scaling the Titans with repurposed mining gear. <laughs> it sounds very 40k, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds badass. Well, I'm glad you think so, because I made it up, and in fact it is C, ah. collapsing the surface works in the ground <laughs> under the Titans. Yeah, that does make sense. That is a point for Dave. <laughs> Question three. How did Mr. Bilge break the siege? Mr. Bilge. How did Mr. Bilge break the siege of Hive Rastigan on St. Bath Tolf's 
throne. Did he A. Cripple a Mechanicum eradication arc, tow, tow it into low orbit above the hive, and send it into a death dive crashing into the hive city? Did he B. Fire tectonic missiles from low orbit to destabilize the foundations of the hive city, causing a catastrophic collapse of the hive in upon itself? Or did he C. Fire a virus bomb warhead into the upper spires of the hive and the resulting biophagic purge spread uncontrollably, eradicating all biological life? I mean, it feels like it should be option D, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this Mr. Bill just isn't messing around, is he? I like the um, uh, the eradication arc being dropped from orbit. That's that sounds like a sounds like a forty k thing to do. Also, it's a callback to a thing we previously mentioned. Yep, I'll go with that. In a similar vein, I'm going to go for the third one. The uh firing the whatever the biocyclonic warhead uh, because that feels like a bit of a callback to destroying all organic life both good reasonings on this occasion Dan gets it is (laughs) towing an eradication arc which he crippled and captured and then sending into a death dive into the hive city nice and then unfortunately for Mr Bilge how was he later slain after withdrawing his fleet from a losing battle with the Grey Knights? Was it A, when Grey Knight Paladins teleported aboard his plague ship's command barge and cut him down? B, when one of his lieutenants betrayed him and vaporised his skull with a combi melter? Or C, when his plague ship was destroyed by point-blank fire from orc kill cruisers? He is the MO of the Grey Knights, right? So, I mean, it's is it death by Grey Knights or death by a traitor in his own ranks or death by just orc. brutally cunning, cunningly brutal orcs? See, I think I feel like it's it might be B because Games Workshop does like to write chaos as very infighty. But I really want to say C because because we know the orcs, orcs should be in there somewhere. Yeah, because it's you know it's what? you know it's the orcs neck of the woods really. I, I'm going to go for C as well, whether you do or not, because uh, we've not heard about the orcs yet. Yeah, no, we'll go C. Orcs, 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 orcs. I can tell you, it is indeed C. Hey. His pl- Tell them red tooth centers. Yeah. Yes. Mr. Bilger's plague ship, the Cankasaur, was destroyed by point blank fire from orc kill cruisers of Captain Dreadbag's freebooter fleet. And a bit like the Drukari, nice. this is the extent of the orc inclusion right. in this book. Again, they were piratical and basically a major player in raiding the Imperial forces in the area before the arrival of the Death Guard. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Previously in the conflict, Bilge had basically crippled these orcs and sent them packing. And in his moment of uh, daring escape from the Grey Knights, Captain Dreadbag reappeared to get his revenge. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I'm going to choose to interpret that as the Death Guard were smart enough to attack the Imperial bit in in uh, Caradon and not the Orc bit. Yeah, I think that's probably more the case. But yeah, basically, Dregbad just uh, took this opportunity to get some vengeance and deal out some karmic justice. Nice. <laughs> Is that calm Orc justice? <laughs> yes. Or possibly calm Orc justice. Indeed. <laughs> Question five. How was the Mechanicus Eradication Arc Necessitus Ajax destroyed above the planet of Magnifera? Was it A, torn apart in orbit by a swarm of plague drones and blight drones? B, itself destructed after becoming infected with Chaos Scrap Code? Or C, it was destroyed by Magnifera's last functioning orbital battery? Mm. So, Mechanicus vessel. This is one of the eradication arcs, yeah. Yes. Called Ajax. Necessitous Ajax. So, the prime necessity, I assume. I kill all the biological stuff. It's a necessity. Honest. I'm wondering if it's the namesake of Warlock Ajax from Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Uh, I will say that it was the uh, uh, the scrap code. I'll say self destruct. That's also the scrap there code. Yeah, CP so both code. Yes. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. So self destructed uh, after becoming then? infected with scrap code, or okay, and- torn apart in orbit by a swarm of plague drones and plague flies, um, and blight drones. Or it was destroyed by Magnifera's last functioning orbital battery. Uh, okay, I'll go with a horde of drones. So, Noodle drones. Horde of drones and destroyed by scrap code for them. Yes. Yeah. That is no points. It was, in fact, destroyed <laughs> by Magnifera's last functioning orbital battery. It was as an act of vengeance by the Imperial defenders after the eradication arc had a previously fired upon the Imperial world before the arrival of the Death Guard forces, it was sent there Ooh. to aid them in the defence of. Nice. <laughs> yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Question six. Nearly done now, just two more questions. Okay. I've got Dave one ahead. Yes, currently Dave is one ahead. Chance Every chance to overtake me. Yep. It's getting tense. Question six. Elsewhere in the Charadon sector, an alliance of word bearers and Alpha Legion captured a subterranean complex known as the Stygian Temple for reasons unknown. However, what did they... They captured it. The reasons for capturing it are unknown or the reasons why it was called the Stygian Temple are unknown? Both. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yes, uh, reasons unknown to us. I'm sure they had their reasons. Good. However, what did they unexpectedly find and later capture inside the temple? Was it A, a gene stealer cult and its patriarch? B, a single custodian guard of the Shadow Keepers? Or C, Cypher? Well, okay. <laughs> uh, 
You're not going to capture a custodian guard, are you? I mean, you might. You might chop him. Thing that just for you might chop his arms and legs off. Come back and fight. Just for a point of clarity here, do either of you know the purpose of the Shadow Keeper's Order of Custodians? Uh, I believe they are tasked with um, keeping the uh, sort of shadows. The most are they? Are they the ones that are uh, tasked with keeping the most dangerous, like secret weapons uh, and like super weapons and stuff that the Imperium has hidden away? Secret. Yes, um, they're the custodians of the, uh, the hidden vaults in Terror, and basically, post the opening of the rift, various weapons and inmates have escaped, and oh, custodians yes. are across the galaxy attempting from the Shadow Keepers attempting to recapture these artifacts or individuals. Mm. Just for reference. So, do we think? That yeah. Tony owns a copy of uh, Codex Custodies. <laughs> yeah, did he know that before, or has he only figured that out from this uh, this particular uh, documentation? Cipher. That's another option, isn't it? Uh, possibly. I mean, if there's Chaos Marines involved, Cipher might be there, and he'll talk his way out again. What was the third option? Gene Sealer Cult. Oh, well, that's always an option, isn't it? And it just... Mm. It's a difficult choice, this one. I think I am going to go for the uh, custodian of the Shadow Keepers. I'm going to think that Tony's made that up, and I'm going to... No, I don't think Tony has made that up. I think he's read that out of the book. I think I'll, I'll agree with you, Dan. All right, then. I'm going custodian of the Shadow Keepers. Yeah, but I'm playing you, Tony. I'm not, not playing the game. <laughs> well, Dave, I can inform you that, in fact, I've been playing you because it is a gene stealer cult and it's Patriarch. Oh. <laughs> and no, I don't own a copy of the Codex Custodians. I just know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, in fact, the word bearers and the Alpha Legion did not expect to encounter a gene stealer cult. In fact, they were expecting to encounter cultist cells of their own that they placed there. Um, but yeah. upon getting there, they basically destroyed the cult. And for, again, reasons unknown to us, the readers, they decided to restrain and subdue the patriarch of the cult, rather than kill it. A difficult task. Mm-hmm, but they did it. Um, and then... Maybe just chop all its arms and legs off. <laughs> all of them. All of them. <laughs> it's got a lot of them. And then the last bit I wanted to read out was the actual description of the Stygian temple itself, or sorry, the Stygian temple itself, because it was a very strange description. So we had, led on by the Soneshi demon and its withering host, the disciples broke through into a temple of enormous scale. Its walls were formed of myriad blocks of needle-studded silver and onyx that shifted and interlocked endlessly. Its towering columns bore swarms of screaming faces, Xenos and human, and things too wholly hideous to be either. That's just part of the TARDIS, isn't it? Well. It sounds it, it sounds suspiciously like the inside cover of all the 9th edition books. I was thinking that. <laughs> it, sounds, yeah. 
It's especially since they made so a lot of John Blanche artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. Uh, and then the little description at the end was, at the last, the patriarch fell, yet it was not slain. Instead, Tassar Kanaf, who was the leader of the word bearers, had his foe subdued and restrained. For in capturing the Stygian temple, the disciples had not completed their great work, which instead had merely begun it. Mm. Mm. A very interesting little tidbit there towards the end. Which is uh, Act 1, the Book of Rust, isn't it? So. It is. Now, for our final question of tonight's quiz, and which could be the tiebreaker, uh, I might have to come up with a tiebreaker, because if Dan gets oh. it right and Dave doesn't, it will in fact be tied. Yeah. Question 7. Mm-hmm. During his invasion of the Charadon subsectors, Typhus himself was actually dealt a grievous wound. A wound oh. which refuses to heal despite his unholy constitution and dark blessings, and which he still suffers with today. Oh. What was this wound and who dealt it? Was it A? Was Typhus shot through the chest with a stalker bolt round by Captain Caspius of the Excru- Excruciators chapter, now deceased? Was it B? Stabbed through the chest with a blessed power sword by Canonus Joghild of the Order of Our Martyred Lady, now deceased? Or was it C? Struck in the chest with a melter charge by Company Commander Stalaren of the Savlar 88th Regiment, now deceased. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with the Bon Jovi reference. Shot through the heart. <laughs> See, I think if it's a, if it's a wound that's not healing, even though he is obviously blessed by Nurgle, I think... Uh, well, I mean, I guess it wouldn't heal. It would just get worse, but in like a sort of nurgly, happy way. I'm going to suggest that it is a, a blessed weapon. That sounds like uh, sounds like the an act of faith from the uh, uh, the sisters of the Order of Our Martyred Lady. Was that? It was yes, Canoness Joghild. Uh, so I feel like she got what she wanted then. Because she became a martyred lady. Quite. <laughs> so Dan is going for martyred lady, stabbed through the heart yes. with a sword. Dave, you're going through shot through the heart by Bon Jovi. Yep. You're too yeah, by Bon Jovi, right. yes. <laughs> well, I can tell you that, Dan, you are correct. Typhus was indeed uh, stabbed through the heart, or stabbed yes. through the chest with a blessed power sword by Canonus Joghild of the Order of Our Martyred Lady, and she is indeed now deceased. Yes. That now, would have got them uh, extra miracle dice. Well, you say that, but funnily enough, as a little prelude, the Blade of Purity, as it's known, actually appears as a crusade relic in the Book of Fire. Nice. The description That's being, cool. this gleaming sword was wielded in battle by Canoness Joghild and is said to have dealt Typhus a holy wound that not even his plague-ridden post-human physiology could heal. And I'm going to read out its abilities. So this is our one little bit of rules crunch for tonight. 
Imperium Infantry model with Power Sword, Mastercraft of Power Sword, Relic Blade, or Blessed Blade only. This relic replaces a Power Sword, Mastercraft of Power Sword, Relic Blade, or Blessed Blade, and has the following profile. Range melee, strength plus one, AP minus three, damage two. So it's pretty much a Mastercraft of Power Sword. Yep. But in addition, each time an attack is made with this weapon, rules that ignore wounds cannot be used. Oh. In addition, if an attack made with this weapon destroys an enemy character unit, subtract one from that character unit's out-of-action test at the end of this <laughs> battle. Nice. That's cool. And funnily enough, that brings the score at the end of the quiz 17 to 17 points apiece. Yes. You both equally know your 40k lore. Or not, as the case may be. Would you like me to come up with a tiebreaker question on the fly, or are you quite happy with a uh, equal knowledge of Charidon? Uh, I'd, I'd take a draw. Yeah, I'm happy with a draw. Everyone wins, kind of. Neither of us are big, uh, big nerdly players, so uh, apart from Dan. Well, <laughs> I'm a recent convert to Nurgle. No, no, I think that's fair. Neither of us would really read it. I think that's a, a reasonable result. Oh, all I know is I had fun reading it. <laughs> and making up all the alternatives. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I hope all the sort of falsehoods I came up with were suitably convincing they could have been part of 40k law. Yep. I mean, there, I think so. there were a fair few that we thought were too obviously fake that were real. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, the super glue fog. I mean, that's that's insane. <laughs> I enjoyed the hulking menace. Yes. Mm, yeah. It's like, uh, we're calling our ship the big scary ship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I had fun doing that. I'm looking forward to doing it again with uh, Book of Fire once I've read all the shenanigans okay. that's going to be going on in the lore over there. Um, I Did you two enjoy that as a segment? Do you think that was a, a yeah, fun was exercise? Fun. Yeah, it was good. Thank you for putting that together, Tony. <laughs> and um, I'd love to hear from the listeners as well, so feel free to leave some comments or ideas or suggestions in, um, either below or on our Facebook group or anywhere else that you care to get in contact with us. Uh, because it's it's been our first sort of foray into a, a law-based episode. It's also been our first sort of like quiz-style segment. And... Uh, I, I, I enjoyed everything about it, and I hope you guys listening did as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's that's more or less everything for tonight. So just before we wrap it up, let's quickly go over our community spotlights. And I'm going to start with mine because, in fact, I can tell you now that it's going to be the realm of plastic name generators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah figures yeah because as part of doing this um i just you know little google found them for me and uh they've got plenty of them for various different factions and game systems and they're all pretty good i mean in the case of the fake names that i pulled up for the death guard i would i was occasionally like pulling or stitching parts together from component generated names but I mean, you can see they were very much on par with the kind of things that Games Workshop themselves put out there. So uh, I, I just wanted to give some credit to the uh, the realm of plastic. Um, I mean, it's a website, and uh, they, it looks like they 
sort of do all sorts of 40k and Games Workshop related articles and posts and various resources, one of which is this series of name generators. So if you need some 40k names, particularly dev card ones, um, go check them out. They've got a range of them and I found them incredibly helpful for this and I think they have some pretty legitimate options there for your Crusade characters and similar. So yeah. That's, yeah, sounds uh, good. Realm of Plastic. Give them a Google, you'll find them online. <laughs> and um, Dave, who have you got uh, to shout out this yeah, week? Yeah, I... I, uh, as I think I mentioned before, I live in, in, in rural East Suffolk, so um, I'd like to give a shout out to my local uh, games workshop for two reasons, just because, you know, they deserve it, and uh, they're a great store in Buddy St Edmunds, for anybody that's, that's visiting the area or is local to the area to pop in. Uh, but the second reason is that, um, although I knew him uh, sort of a little bit before, um, the guy that runs us all, Brett, um, actually attended the Tour 40k tournament I went to uh, last weekend. Uh, in Saffron Walden and uh, he was with us and hung about with the, the three guys from our club and actually overall ended up winning the tournament which was um, uh, really great to see and I was the only person who killed his great big horrible Necron Lord um, <laughs> uh, on the day even though he won the whole tournament so I was kind of pleased with that uh, but um, yeah the Silent King was what he brought that was uh, a bit terrifying <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but um on the same day, uh, the shout out I made uh, in the last episode for, for Nation of Lee on Instagram uh, won the best painted at the competition, which was well deserved with his um, his uh, Soul Haunters army. Nice. Nice. And um, Dan, how about yourself? Cool. So, um, uh, given that we are talking about Forge World Metallica, uh, I am going to shout out. The Sandman. See what see what I did there. See what I did there. <laughs> uh, so um, the, uh, he is a forty k person who appears on the Conclave podcast, um, which you may or may not have heard of. They, I have heard of it. Quite, it's one on my to do list to get around to. They're, listening to. they're quite good. They get quite a lot of good, kind of fairly high profile forty k related guests. Um. But he started doing YouTube videos a while back. Uh, they're sort of vaguely competitive themes rather than narrative, but there's a, a bit of a mix in there. Um, but he does a thing called the Gotcha Guide, which is like a, a little sort of uh, shortish video that basically just tells you the kind of things you need to know about a new army, that like the things that will catch you out. Sort of uh, like the cheeky okay, stratagems yeah. or the warlord traits or whatever that that are particularly nasty that might come up that you might not expect. It's pretty cool. So here, yeah, he's on YouTube as the Sandman, uh, which is quite hard to search for on YouTube, incidentally. So uh, <laughs> probably type in Sandman 40k or something like that. Um, and he is also on Instagram as the Sandman Hobby, all one word. Nice. Yeah, so go check that out, guys. And um so yeah, that's basically everything for tonight. So if you've if you enjoyed the show, and in particular if you enjoyed this new sort of format, um, it's something I'd like to revisit for some future publications, and uh, it'll help break up some of the crunchier rules episodes because there's going to be a couple of them coming now with a book of fire and amidst the ashes. 
So yeah, uh, it's yeah. just really enjoyed this one. I hope um, the listeners enjoyed it as well. And yeah, thank you, Dan, and thank did. you, Dave, for not reading the law before we did this. <laughs> You're welcome for rewarding <laughs> thank my you for laziness. The quiz, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, thanks for joining me on the show and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again maybe for something like this again in the future awesome and uh, yeah, until next time guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast helping you discover more ways to play 40k